Turn to Genesis chapter 3 and Numbers 30. All right, those two passages I want us to turn to today. I normally give us two passages to turn to, but we go through, you know, five or six or eight or ten passages in the message. But I'd like for you to bring your Bibles, and I'd like for you to turn to the passages and read in your Bibles and stay in the habit of reading your Bibles. So Genesis 3 is where we'll start, and then we'll, sometime during the message, we'll get over to Numbers chapter 30. Now, uh, let me tell you what happened to me uh, on vacation. I preached here the last weekend in June and uh, had four weeks then of vacation uh, following that. But I preached on the last week of June, and my family on that weekend got in a car on Friday, two cars actually, all of our kids, grown kids and everything, and they drove to Colorado. So I preached here, and right after this service, I went to the airport, went home changed, went to the airport, and flew to Vail, Colorado. And they picked me up there, and we went and had dinner that night. That was Sunday night. Monday, the first day of my vacation... (laughs) I, uh, we went and played golf in the morning, and then we uh, went up on top of Vail Mountain to have lunch, and then we were going to play Frisbee golf. And I don't need any comments about giving up contact sports, all right? But I, we were going to play Frisbee golf as a family, and I finished the first hole, and then I was walking to the next hole. And they have like a, a mat, you know, that you know is about that size right there. And you walk to that mat, and then you throw the Frisbee to like a basket, and, you know, you try to get it in in so many throws. So I saw the mat about 50 feet in front of me, and I looked to the left to see where the basket was, and I could see it, but there were some trees there. And so I was looking, you know how you I was looking to see when will I have a good angle, and I was looking this way. And by the way, I'm not going to fall off the platform, okay? <laughs> but I was doing that right there. I was looking this way and walking this away, and I stepped in a, a hole, a large hole that was almost as deep as this platform, about two to three feet deep, and went down, turned my ankle, broke my foot, and then and fell like this, but my shoulder hit on the other side of the hole, and it was solid rock. You know how you have rock in Colorado? And it knocked the ball completely out of socket and broke off 40% of the socket with it when it came out. And there's a muscle that holds your your ball in, and it's called the labrum, and the MRI report says that it tore 360 degrees. So the entire, it tore completely. The doctor said to me, the only thing that was holding your arm on your body was your skin. No muscle and no bone, it was completely gone. So they, some of y'all are like, it's a quick, quick talking. Um, So I'm going to keep going, it's going to get grosser. So anyway, they, uh, they said, the extent of the damage that you've done, you're going to have to um, uh, have surgery. And, and this is Vail. They're a world-renowned for their surgeons in this area. And they said, you need to go back to Dallas to have the surgery. And it's going to take tremendous rehabilitation. I've been told about 12 weeks of physical therapy. And the doctor told me, he said, when, you, when people say to you, I had shoulder surgery, he said, just smile because it's not what you had. And he said, 99% of shoulder surgeries are not at all what you had. Your shoulder was completely detached and reattached to your body. And so it's a whole different process of rehabilitation for you. So anyway, I I came back to Dallas and and had the um, surgery. But, you know, going through the airport and and doing things, going to the doctor's office, I had a cast on my foot, which I just got off this last week. It was one you could take on and off, but it's the only way I could walk. It's off now, but I'd have that on my leg, and I had this, you know, Everybody wants to know what happened. Well, you know, when you say, I fell in a hole, it just doesn't elicit any sympathy, you know. 
and even some grins, you know. So I, so I thought, you know, I got to come up with a better story than this. And so finally, this guy says to me in the airport, he said, "Man, what happened to you?" And I said, "Skydiving." <laughs> that got a great response. He said, "Really?" I said, "No, but that's a lot better than the truth." So we're just going to stick with that. And then I got to thinking, well, that's not, I, I can't say skydiving, you know. And so I thought, well, maybe I'll say I fell off a mountain, you know. And I thought, but that's not true. I really fell on the mountain, you know, not off of it. So, and then I thought, well, maybe I'll just call the hole a ravine. You know, that sounds better, you know, on top of a mountain. I said, so, I, so this lady asked me, but I didn't expect to have a question back. This lady said to me, what happened? I said, well, I was on top of a mountain and I fell in a ravine. And she said, really? How deep? Two feet. So I, I have not gotten any sympathy for this stupid accident that I've had. But let me tell you what I did. I, I, I've had a lot of accidents in my life. And I'm going to share some of them with you in a moment just to show you how freaky my life has been. But I asked the Lord, Lord, why? Why have I had so many accidents? And so I said to the Lord, Lord, have I opened a door Somehow to the enemy. And I'm not saying all accidents are caused by the enemy. I'm not saying that. All right? don't, don't take what I'm saying today to an extreme. But just hear the truth in it. But this accident had the enemy's fingerprints all over it. Because he's a thief. And it happened on the first day of my vacation. He stole my vacation. My family time. My recuperation time. Uh, my replenishing time. Uh, finances. You know, even though you have insurance, you still got to pay a deductible and 20%. And, you know... So he just stole from me. And so I said, God, did I, do I have an open door to the enemy in my life? And here's what the Lord said to me. Yep. Just like that. Yep. Then he didn't have to think about it. <laughs> and I said, well, where was, where's the open door? And this is what he said. You believed a lie. You have believed a lie. Now, when I was growing up, let me explain this to you. I had lots of accidents. And again, I'm going to share some with you. And I can remember words being spoken over me when I was growing up. I can remember the day when a lady said to my parents, that kid's going to spend his entire adult life in the emergency room. I remember that being spoken over me. He's the most accident-prone person we've ever seen. That's what they would say. I knew the people in the emergency room growing up by first name, you know. So... All these words are spoken. Well, when I got saved and then got in a good church and began understanding about spiritual warfare, I broke those words, okay? And I, I, and I said, God, I've broken all those words and spoken over me. Here's what he said to me. Yeah, but you still believed them. In the back of your mind, you believed it was just normal for you to have accidents. It doesn't surprise you when you have an accident, because you just think it's normal for you. And so... That's what I want to talk to you about today. And then God said to me, you have believed a lie. Well, here's what I did. I switched the you and the have, and here's the title of the message. Have you believed a lie? Maybe not in the area of accidents, but maybe in the area of marriage or health or finances or success or relationships or with your children. Have you believed a lie? Because that's how Satan gets in. I told you I was going to share a little bit about my accidents. I had my first accident when I was three years old. I was riding a tricycle going real fast. Surprise, surprise. And tried to negotiate a turn, and this really was a ravine. It was about a six to eight foot cliff thing with a creek bottom with rocks at the bottom. I fell face first. My two front teeth went completely through my bottom lip and then lodged in my bottom lip. And they had to go in. I had to have my first surgery when I was three years old. And then I had to have surgery again a year later to remove scar tissue. 
Uh, when I was eight years old, I had a bicycle wreck and was knocked unconscious. A witness said I was hit by a car. I don't know if I was hit by a car. The car didn't stop. I don't know what happened because I was just going along doing fine, and then all next thing I know, I'm in the uh, a house, and they're they're bringing, having the ambulance come to get me. You know, and I, that's when I woke up. Uh, I've had multiple motorcycle wrecks growing up and since I've been grown. Uh, I mean, I've hit the pavement. Some I'm scared of pavement. <laughs> I hate pavement because it's so hard. I've hit the pavement so many times, I can't even tell you how many times. I've, I've had bicycle wrecks. I've had motorcycle wrecks. Uh, I had horses growing up. I had a horse that I uh, did rodeos with. And my father bought me a show saddle. And uh, I was about 12 or 13, maybe 14 or 15 years old. And he said, don't uh, use the show saddle except for shows. You know, don't use it just for practicing. And, of course, I... First time I went, I put the show saddle on just for practicing, and, and I was riding around and on the horse, and it started raining, and we were in East Texas. In East Texas, where I grew up, they have oil roads. Now, oil roads are roads that are made of oil. Yeah. So can you imagine what happens to them when it begins to rain? <laughs> they are the slickest thing you've ever been on in your life, slicker than ice, you know. And so um, I, I start running the horse to get him home because I've got a show saddle on him, so I'm going as fast as I can to get home. I mean, running. It's a 1,200-pound quarter horse. Her, we, her leg slipped out from under her. My, I couldn't get my foot out of the stirrup. She landed on my leg and slid over 100 feet uh, on my leg. So I've had, I've had all sorts of freak accidents. I, uh, right after Debbie and I got married, she didn't know what she was getting into. You know, I, 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 reached, I picked up a box and collapsed a lung. My lung collapses. And the, the, I found out later, the doctor came in afterwards, after surgery, and said to me, have you ever smoked marijuana? And I wasn't saved at that time, so I wasn't in the confessing mode, <laughs> you know. Uh, and I said, a little bit. And he said, well, more than a little, more than anybody I've, I've ever seen, because you have cysts all over your lungs that are formed from marijuana smoke. It's the only way they can be formed. And your, your lungs are covered with them. And he said, any time you do anything that's strenuous, those, one of those cysts could pop and you could collapse the lung again. And uh, by the way, after I got saved, I had an x-ray done, and there were no cysts on my lungs. And so I'm grateful for that. But anyway, I, when I get rushed to the hospital now, they are, I, they're taking me down the hallway from x-ray, and they're rubbing alcohol, you know, right here on my, my chest, the side of my chest. And the surgeon is telling Debbie, we have to do emergency surgery. She actually walks into the room, and she's in the room with me, and there's all sorts of people, and I'm awake, everything. They've not done one thing to deaden me, and he cuts me open right there and pushes the tube in my side. So, And I'm not telling all the gross stories, by the way. I got some really uh, ones because I used to cut brush with a machete growing up from my dad, and I got some really good machete stories about being in a rusty emergency room. But I'm not telling those, all right? So... And one more, uh, Josh, our oldest son, who's 25 now, was five years old, and uh, Debbie and I were uh, pillow fighting in the bedroom, just, just for fun, having a good time. And um, I went to walk out of the bedroom, and I walked over to the door, and she was across the room, and I thought, I'm just going to do a karate kick, you know, <laughs> kind of show her who's boss, you know. So I jump up in the air, and I pull my perfect karate, you know, boom, do that kick, and I land on my left foot, and it turns, and the ankle breaks just like that. But here's the sad part of the story. Josh is five. He's in kindergarten. He goes to a Christian school. The Christian school is under the covering of the church where I'm an associate pastor. So everybody in the Christian school knows me. Every teacher, the principal, they all know me. And the next day in chapel, the principal says, does anyone have a prayer request? 
and little Joshie Morris raises his hand, five years old. I have a prayer request, you know. And the principal says, yes, Josh, uh, Robert's son, Robert Morris's son. Josh, you have a prayer request? And he said, yes, pray for my daddy. And uh, the principal said, well, why do we need to pray for your daddy? And he said, well, he and my mom were fighting, and he tried to karate kick her, so she broke his leg. <laughs> this is just a little part of my life that I'm sharing with you, all right? A lady said to me one time, she said, I just love it when you tell funny stories about yourself and about your life. And then she said, you know, come to think of it, your whole life is just one big joke. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, I started adding up, you know, because of this, this accident, uh, I think I've been in the emergency room almost 30 times in my life, which is absolutely phenomenal for any person. And I've broken 16 bones. Uh, and since I started the church, now listen to this, since I started the church, I've been hospitalized four times, been in the emergency room four times, had three surgeries, and broken nine bones in seven years. So, uh, and you might think, you know, I think Satan's trying to kill you. Listen, it's just not me. He's trying to kill you too. He hates anybody that looks like Jesus. Anyone. So, I want to talk to you about what God showed me through this because I believe it will help you. And it's helping me already because he said to me, yeah, you left an open door to the enemy. You believed the lie. And that's the way the enemy gets in. I want to show you that before Satan can get you to fall or sin, he's got to get you to believe a lie. Now, look at Genesis chapter 3, all right? Verse 1. Genesis 3, 1 says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, Now watch what he says, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Okay, listen to me. Let me just tell you something. That's exactly opposite of what God said. If you read it, later you can do it. I didn't pull it up on the screen for you. But Genesis 2, God says, You shall eat of every tree of the garden except this tree. So God says it positively, Satan says it negatively. See, he's already trying to twist her thinking. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And let me just make a comment about that. A lot of people have made a big deal about her saying, Nor shall you touch it, because God didn't say that. But can I explain something to you? She had not sinned yet. There's no sin in the world. So she's not lying She's just giving what her interpretation was as she and Adam, she wasn't even there when God said it. So Adam didn't lie to her either. But I think Adam and Eve made some sort of an agreement that not only are we not going to eat from the tree, we're not even going to touch the tree. And so she's basically just saying, because if she's lying here, then that's a sin. And there's no sin in the world at this point, And we know that. So she's just simply saying, this is our understanding. And this is the agreement that we made, Adam and I, to stay completely away from this tree. You see what I'm saying? All right. And... Uh, so, you shall not touch it lest you die. Verse 4. Then the serpent said to the woman, watch this, you will not surely die. That again is exactly opposite of what God said. God said you will surely die. Here's a lie. Here's his first lie. You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, let me say something else to you. This is the first lie Eve has ever heard. I just want to give you a little compassion for Eve. She's never heard a lie before. She doesn't know what a lie is. She's never heard a lie. And Satan's trying to get her and Adam to sin, but he knows the only way he can get a person to sin is to get the person to believe a lie. See what I'm saying? So if she'll believe the lie, then she'll sin. This is the way Satan gains access to our lives. 
is he tells a lie and he tries to get us to believe that lie. By the way, the lie always contains a little truth. It says, God knows in the day you do it, you, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Okay, listen to me. If you read on down in Genesis 3, you see that it says, when they ate, their eyes were open. But they weren't like God. They were like God before they ate the fruit. <laughs> they were like the devil after they ate the fruit. So I want you to understand that the devil is so good at lying that his lies contain a little bit of truth. And you've got to be very careful to watch out for him. Matter of fact, even when he came to Jesus, you remember what he said to Jesus? If you are the Son of God. Well, what's he trying to do? He knows he wants to get Jesus to sin, but he knows the only way to get someone to sin is to first get him to believe a lie. Are you all following me? It's very important that you understand this. That he does the same thing with Adam and Eve that he does with Jesus. I want to get the Adam and Eve to sin. I want to get Jesus to sin. But I can't get people to sin unless I can get them to believe a lie. So the first thing he does is he tries to get us to believe a lie. Uh, Genesis 4, 7 says, If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. Sin lies at the door. Now, who's the author of sin? Satan. So who's lying at the door? Satan is. He's at the door. And here's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about not opening the door so Satan can come into our lives. Let's not open doors. So I'm going to show you three ways that we open doors for Satan to come in. Or three ways that we believe alike. Three ways that we open doors for Satan to come in our lives. Here's the first way. The sins that we continue. Any sin that you continue in, that you persist in. That, you, that is habitual for you, that is an open door to the enemy. Now, I don't think that every time we fall and make a mistake that we've opened the door to the devil. But I think when we continue, when we persist, First John talks about practicing righteousness and practicing lawlessness. If you practice lawlessness, he says, you are of the devil or you are literally giving the devil advantage. When you continue to practice lawlessness, you're giving the devil an advantage in your life. That's what happens. If we continue in sin, we have an open door for Satan to come in. Let me just take one sin and show you the open door to the enemy. All right? One, just one sin. The sin of unforgiveness. In Matthew 18, Jesus tells a story about a man who's forgiven, but he won't forgive his fellow servant. And this is what he says toward the end of it. Verse 32. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You're a wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you begged me, should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you. And his master was angry, now watch carefully, and delivered him or turned him over to the torturers, wonder who they would represent, until he should pay all that was due to him. Now verse 35 is very, very important. This is Jesus talking. So my heavenly Father also will do to you, if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother's trespasses. All right, what will the Heavenly Father do to us if we don't forgive? Turn us over to torturers. That's what he just said. Who are the torturers? One version says tormentors. Who are the tormentors? Demons are. In other words, here's what Jesus is saying. If you keep unforgiveness in your life, you have an open door to the tormentors to come in and torture you. Let me show you another scripture on unforgiveness. 2 Corinthians 2.10 Now whom you forgive anything, Paul said this, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Now watch this. Lest Satan should take advantage of us. Maybe we could say it this way. Should have an open door in our lives. For we are not ignorant of his devices. See, here's what Paul's saying. You forgive him, I forgive him. 
Now, I'm not going to keep unforgiveness because if I do, Satan now has the advantage. Satan has an access. Satan has an open door in my life if I allow unforgiveness to stay. So if there is a sin in your life that is habitual, if there's a sin that you continue in, that you persist in, let us help you get free. This is what freedom ministry is all about. I want every person in the church to go through freedom ministry. As a matter of fact, I want to talk to two groups here today. First group is those of you who have not gone through freedom ministry yet. If you have not gone through freedom ministry, I want you to go through freedom ministry. Here's the second group that I want to go through freedom ministry. Those of you who have gone through freedom ministry. I want you to go through again. You want to know why? Because it's like an onion. We just continue to peel layers back. I have been through deliverance and inner healing many times. Because many times, even after we get free from something, a years later, it begins to crop back up in our life or somehow we go back into that sin and we develop another stronghold. And the Bible says that when they come back, they come back worse. So just like you needed the help to get free in the first place, if you've gone back into bondage, you really need help to get free. So I'm pleading with you, if you have a bondage in your life, a sin that you can't stop, come to us and let us help you. We are not going to look down on you because every person that has ever lived other than Jesus needs deliverance. Every one of them. Every person that's ever lived has had demons coming against them in certain areas of hurt, unforgiveness, bitterness, anger, resentment, lust, pride, malice, envy, jealousy. I could go on and on with the list. We've all fallen, and we've all opened the door to the enemy. So we need to kick him out. So that's the first way that we open a door, is through the sins that we continue. Second way, the words that we speak. The words that we speak. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Do you believe that? Absolutely. Now, I want to clarify, and there's, I, I, there, I did a sermon series on it, and then we put it in a book. If you want to go further this subject, you can get one of those. The Bible says death and life are in the power of the tongue. Some preachers have taken this truth to the extreme. And they've said we have creative power with our words. Because we were created by a creative God, we can speak and create things. Okay, here's my response to that. Come do it. I'd like to see you speak something into existence. Because I've tried. I said let there be a red Corvette in the driveway. There was no red Corvette in the driveway. We do not have creative power. Let me tell you the power we do have, though, with our words. We have the power with our, with our words to agree with the Creator who brings life or to agree with the Destroyer who brings death. And it is very, very important what you say because what you say then either opens a door for God to come in or opens a door for Satan to come in. What the words that we speak open doors. Proverbs 6, verse 2. You are snared by the words of your mouth. You are snared by the words of your mouth. You're in bondage because of what you've spoken. Now, I'm going to ask you a question, and then we're going to look at Numbers 30. So if you haven't flipped over there yet, we'll be in Numbers 30 right after this. Can words bind, and can words be broken? Can words that we speak bind us, and can words that we have spoken, or that people have spoken over us, be broken? I'm going to show you one of the best passages in the Scripture, and there are lots of them. Lots of passages, again. But I'm going to show you just one passage to show you how words can bind us that we speak and how those words could also be broken or overruled. All right? Numbers chapter 30, verse 1. Then Moses spoke to the heads of the tribes concerning the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. If a man makes a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind, notice the word bind, himself by some agreement, he shall not break... His word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. 
So he's saying, you spoke something and you're bound by what you've spoken now. Or if a woman makes a vow to the Lord and binds herself by some agreement while in her father's house in her youth, and her father hears her vow and the agreement by which she has bound herself, and her father holds his peace, then all her vows shall stand. And every agreement with which she has bound herself shall stand. But, here's the good news, if her father overrules her on the day that he hears then none of her vows nor her agreements by which she has bound herself shall stand, and the Lord will release her because her father overruled her. Now let me ask you these questions again. Can words bind? Yes or no? And can words be broken? There it is right there in that passage. Absolutely incredible. You can say things that bind you, but you can also have someone who has spiritual authority break those words over you. That's what the father represents in this case. The father had spiritual authority over the daughter. In the same way, that's another reason why I want you to come to Freedom Ministry. So that some pastor, some leader in the church who has gone through training in this area, another disciple, because you bound yourself by the words, but someone else can say, I break those words over you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what you spoke can be overruled. You know, it's amazing to me how many curses are spoken. Have you, have you noticed that? This lady was telling me a few weeks ago that she was in line with her um, daughter at the checkout line at the grocery store. Her daughter at the time was about two or three years old. There was a lady behind her and the lady's just complimenting her daughter. And then all of a sudden she just speaks this curse. She says, oh, your daughter's so precious. She is so precious. And then she says this, but you know, when she becomes a teenager, she's going to break your heart. What a curse. Well, this woman understood curses, so she got out in the car, and as soon as she did, she said, I break that in Jesus' name over my daughter. And so, so many times we do the same thing. Think about all the curses that have been spoken over you. And here's another thing. We're talking about a father and daughter. Think about how many curses children speak on themselves. Well, Dad, I'm just stupid. I'm just stupid, Dad. I, I just cannot understand math. Here's what, when your child says that, here's what you say. I overrule that in Jesus' name. <laughs> You are not stupid. You have the mind of Christ. And I overrule the curse that you just spoke on yourself. We have the power to break words. But, let me say this, if we don't break them, those words stand, and those words can affect us, and those words can be an open door to the enemy. So we need to break those. Here's the third open door, the thoughts that we think. The sins that we continue, the words that we speak, and the thoughts that we think. Proverbs 23, verse 7 says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. As he thinks, as a person thinks in his heart, so is he. Okay, let me just take that and apply that to my situation. If you think you're accident prone, you are. If you think you're accident prone, you are. Because if you think it in your heart, it's going to come to pass. Look at this verse, John 8, 32. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You ever heard that verse before? Isn't that a real familiar verse? Okay, here's a great question. If the truth sets you free, what does a lie do? Isn't that a good question? <laughs> if the truth sets you free, what does a lie do? Hold you in bondage. And that's exactly what I'm trying to say. If we allow lies to stay in our life, if we believe lies, we're in trouble. And let me show you one more scripture about believing lies. Numbers 13. This is when the spies went into the land of Israel... And they brought back, the two of them brought back a good report, Joshua and Caleb. Ten of them brought back a bad report. And this is the bad report that the ten brought back. Uh, Numbers 13, verse 32. 
And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own eyes. Now watch this. This is one of the most incredible phrases in the Bible. And so we were in their sight. You know what he's saying here? Because we thought we were grasshoppers, in our eyes we were grasshoppers, we became grasshoppers in the enemy's eyes too. See, Satan knows the way you see yourself. And he wants to get you to believe a lie about yourself. And if he can get you to believe a lie about yourself, then he's got you also to keep that door open in your life. And that's exactly what they did. By the way, remember, there's always some truth to a lie. They said there's giants in the land. Okay, the truth is there were giants in the land. There were giants. Uh, But there's always a kingdom truth, by the way. The kingdom truth is God loves to kill giants. Giants are no problem for God. By the way, you know what the lie is in the story? The lie is that they were grasshoppers. They weren't grasshoppers. They were men. They were soldiers. But they didn't see themselves as strong men. They saw themselves as grasshoppers. How do you see yourself? Do you realize how many men do not see themselves as strong men? Because of all the things that have been spoken to them and the way they see themselves. And many of them are big, strong men now, but they see themselves as little frail boys. Because they believed a lie. Rather than being a big, strong man that can lead his family and could lead a group or could lead a class in church, he sees himself as just a little boy that I'm just barely making it through life. How many ladies don't see themselves as godly examples for their children? And how many ladies still don't see themselves as a lady of God, clothed with honor and humility, Instead, just a little girl that's awkward. It's because Satan is doing everything he can to get us to believe a lie. And let me give you a little bit of a way to know if you believed a lie. The Lord showed me this when I was, again, just lying around taking drugs. Um, (laughs) Here's the way to know if you believed a lie. If it doesn't shock you. See, it didn't surprise me to have an accident. I had 30 of them or however many I've had. I had lots of them. Unsurprised me. You know what the Lord said to me? That's why you believe the lie. That's the proof. Because what's normal for the world is not normal for the kingdom. Let me say another way. Someone says, well, we found out that, and I found out, Pastor, that my husband has heart disease. But you know, it didn't really surprise us because his daddy had heart disease and his granddaddy had heart disease. Yeah, we got the report last week that I have cancer. But you know, my mother died of cancer and my grandmother died of cancer. Cancer runs in our family. Can I tell you something? You've been adopted into a new family. See, if it doesn't shock you, if it doesn't surprise you, you believe the lie. You know, we had uh, one of our kids, you know, teenagers. I'm not saying this about us, but I'm just giving another example. Someone might say, you know, one of our teenagers went into drugs, but, you know, it didn't surprise us because, you know, we had four good ones and, you know, just had one that was bad. just didn't surprise us. We kind of expected one of them to rebel. In other words, we kind of believed that one of them would rebel. We opened the door so that the enemy could come in so that one of them would rebel. Are, are y'all, y'all following me? I'm asking you. I want you to think about it. What lies about yourself, about your family, about your marriage, about your health, about your finances, about your children? What lies have you believed? Because here's the great news. The truth sets you free. Once you figure out it's a lie, you're on the road to freedom. Because now you know the truth. And now you can just say to the devil, that's a lie. Uh, The day after I had surgery, Pastor Jack Hayford called me. 
And uh, I was telling him, I said, Pastor Jack, I think I believed a lie. And I've just believed this lie my whole life since I was a little kid. And I was telling him about how many times I've been in the emergency room and how many broken bones I had and all this. And, and uh, he just all of a sudden said, Robert, God just spoke to me. Just like that. He said, God just spoke to me. He said, I want to speak something prophetic over you. He said, because you belong to the body of Messiah from this day forward, none of your bones shall be broken. I thought that was a pretty good word. But listen to me. You belong to the body of Messiah too. We are the body of Christ. In other words, if we are the body of Christ, why are we putting up with some of the stuff we put up with? Why do we expect it? Why are we believing for it? Why are we leaving doors open to the enemy? I'll tell you one more thing. I got a whole bunch of cards from many of you. Thank you very much. And I enjoyed and was blessed by every one of them. One card, though, really stood out to me. And I got several cards that kind of alluded to this. But one card, I just had a quiet time with the Lord. And the Lord said to me, he said, Robert, I want you to say three words. I said, okay, what do you want me to say? He said, say no more accidents. No more accidents. That's what I want you to believe for. No more accidents. So I said, no more accidents. No more accidents. He said, I want you to remember those three words. No more accidents. I went out and got the mail and opened up a card, and the first one was from a little boy in our church, probably six, seven, eight years old. He said, Pastor Robert, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for a speedy recovery. But he said, I have to tell you, God spoke something to me to tell you. And he underlined it, no more accidents. No more accidents. Here, here's the point. I'm not saying all accidents are not from God or that, you know, if I have another accident, you need to fire me because I'm in sin. Or, you know, I'm not <laughs> saying that. I'm simply saying... That I had believed a lie that opened a door in my life. And I know I did. And I don't want to believe that lie anymore. And I'm wondering, are there any lies that you've believed that you need to close that door? I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes.